0: Dear Young Rocker is more than just a podcast about music. It's a memoir of how it feels to survive high school when you don't fit in and the freeing feeling of picking up a guitar for the first time. It's also advice for anyone who is or was young and has ever felt weird or alone. Dear Young Rocker is written and narrated by me, Chelsea Erson, executive produced by Jake Brennan, and comes to you from Double Elvis Productions. Listen to Gary Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here. I'm recording this intro at our home studio in Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. However, this is one of the L.A. sessions when I was in Los Angeles not too long ago. Went to our Hollywood studio and recorded some of my best pals in the industry. And this is two weeks in a row that I've had one of my good, good friends in the studio, the, uh, the wonderful Joe Randazzo. I knew Joe. I met him quite a few years ago. When he worked at The Onion in New York, he was editor-in-chief of The Onion, the great satirical rag that he ran out of the New York office until they moved to Chicago. And then Joe, in fact, moved to Los Angeles and became head writer at At Midnight and did that until At Midnight uh, finished up its run. And now Joe is writing scripts and and doing the Hollywood hustle. So Joe's a good pal. We've known each other for a while. We are – our families are close. I have a vested interest – And Joe and his wonderful three kids and his great wife, Kat. And I always make it a point to see Joe when I go to L.A. And we sat down and talked about RoboCop. And uh, weirdly, I had not seen RoboCop all the way through. And we talk about this in the show, but there's literally no reason why I should not have seen RoboCop in the movie theaters. It was right up my alley. I was the perfect age. It's just one of those weird cases of a movie getting by you somehow. And I'd certainly seen enough parts over the years to think I'd seen it. But uh, until Joe picked RoboCop, I really genuinely had not seen it beginning to end uh, all by myself. And boy, what a fun, awesome, great, campy satire this movie was. So uh, pleased to enjoy Joe Randazzo and me on RoboCop. So New Hampshire where you're from. Yep. What town? Penacook. And is that – were you in the same house your whole life? Yeah, my parents are still there. In your house? Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. I think they're just too lazy to move. Is there any reason for them to move? Um. Yeah, I mean – they've been threatening to move out here to california but that's that's you know that's yeah. a big move and hard yeah. to do but i think the main reason is that they hate the winter they have always hated the winter since we moved there in 1986 every winter they've complained <laughs> about <laughs> hating the winter and that's some stamina yeah you know yeah which inertia is more powerful you know the inertia to not get off your butt and do something mm-hmm. or the inertia to leave the deadening Five months out of the year where it's just dark and depressing and cold and you right. will, and now they're at slipping age, you know? Right.
1: So it's S- actually dangerous for them Slipping ain't no joke. No, it ain't no joke. So they, do you, is your room still the same?
2: No. <laughs> my roo- I, My room moved around all the time. I was in like a storage room at one point. I was in the, attic at one point I had my own bedroom at one point I shared oh, bedrooms gotcha it was just
1: a you were all over the house yeah It was
2: a cycle <laughs> of kids and animals we had every kind of animal they all died a different strange death what how many kinds of animals are there I mean well there's a lot of <laughs> kinds of animals. there's a lot of them I don't know how closely you follow Richard Attenborough's career there's a lot of different animals yeah we've had most of them at one point, my younger brother was really into, or thought he was into taxidermy. So he would get to the oh. stage of collecting the dead animals, but then not really follow through <laughs> with the actual taxiderm. Yeah. So we would find, you know, rotting crows, really and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh my god, that's great. Yeah, we had we would bring home snakes from from camping trips, and there was one sn- snake that we brought home, and it disappeared, and then we found it up in the cupboard above the refrigerator. It somehow <laughs> got up eight feet high and had a bunch of babies yeah it was alive oh it was just warm up there because again the winters in new hampshire are are really bad yeah dead parakeets dead iguanas (laughs) dead chameleons dead hamsters we had guinea pigs that baked to death in the sunlight when we were cleaning the house and they were actually left in direct sunlight (laughs) and baked really yeah wow yeah we shouldn't have had any animals but we always did you have dogs and cats at all We had a couple of dogs. We had several cats. Just thought it was like Ray Dazzo's house of exotic pets. Yeah, no, we had a couple dogs, but I don't think anyone in our family was very like good at the the patience and fortitude that it takes to like train and raise a dog. We liked all the good stuff about a dog, right? But none of the hard stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So what? How did movies figure in for you guys? Was it a family thing, or were you sort of the odd man out as far as your career goes and being into that kind of thing. No, everybody everybody loved movies.
2: Um, yeah, we didn't really go out to see the movies very much. That was kind of a special treat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were in a you know fairly lower middle class income bracket. So like eating out or going to movies was definitely
1: rare. Yeah, kind of same here actually. We didn't go to a lot of family movies anyway. Yeah,
2: but we – we rented a lot of movies. There was a place down the street called Deluxe Video, uh-huh. and you could get a fifty-ticket book for fifty dollars, oh. so you could rent fifty movies for fifty dollars. Uh-huh. And you know, going to Deluxe Video, he so would pre-buy the, best. the book. Yeah, and then so. every time you rented a movie, you would just give Richie, who was the guy there, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looked like a vampire, never aged. Uh-huh. My friend actually who. I grew up with, and then he moved to Brooklyn, and then he, his whole family just moved back to New Hampshire. Uh huh. Uh, just sent me a text the other day, unbidden, where he, he saw Richie at the supermarket. Are you serious? Yeah. And Richie outlasted, Deluxe Video like lasted way longer than it should have. It only closed down a few years ago. Oh wow. And there was just a small video store. Uh huh. So yeah, we would go in there and kind of get, uh, you know, free reign to rent a bunch of movies and, and they definitely, my parents were definitely very permissive with, um, you know, watching movies beyond my age limit. They didn't care for yeah. the sex stuff like that. You know, we didn't watch a lot of sexy movies together. Uh-huh. The to Cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Or right, yeah. Nine and a half weeks, I mean. we didn't watch those. <laughs> yeah. But anything with extreme violence was fine.
1: Right, in the true spirit of Americans. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because of, of the people I've had on so far, there's been a range because we always talk about movie histories and families and stuff and a range from – uh Everything from me uh, and uh, – who was it recently that couldn't see a movie and called their parents to say, can I see this? And they said no. And so they didn't. And I had to call my mom to watch Escape from New York, and she said yes. Because you called, I'll let you do it because you did the right thing. But then to the other end of the spectrum, like Roman Mars and people like you were there like, you can watch whatever you want. Well, actually, Roman could watch whatever – he could watch sexy stuff too. Oh
2: wow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember what, renting movies. It was very exciting. <clears throat> and in those days too, Richie would sell like the first run VHSs and they were like $99. Do you remember? Yeah. They used to be like over a hundred dollars to buy yeah. a VHS of a new movie. <laughs> crazy. And I remember, I mean, those are some of my fondest memories. There's, you know, like sitting down in the cramped living room with uh-huh. five pounds of junk food. Yeah. And watching commando or predator or
1: terminator or Right. So that was whatever. That was right up your alley. All yeah. those, uh, eighties, eighties sort of oh, yeah. I violent think those are cop. Probably the most formative, you know? Yeah. Those movies. Well, we're going to get to Robocop, but those movies were really like, you mentioned commando. I saw a little bit of that the other day and I'd forgotten how violent that movie was.
2: Yeah. It's like there was a contest. Uh huh. You know, to be the most violent. I was recently, uh, listened to the, uh, Raging Bulls Easy Riders or Easy Riders Raging Bulls, the book about like uh-huh. filmmaking in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. And just how much that was a reaction to listen to, is it a podcast now? No, on, it's on audible. Oh, okay. Book on tape, book on tape. Oh, yeah. Book uh, on whatever, <laughs> <laughs> book on eight track. Um, how much, you know, the movies of the seventies were a reaction to this, you know, the, the, the 60s and 70s and the doldrums and the mm-hmm. Vietnam War and the sort of like end of the American dream. yeah And then how the 80s, they didn't really talk about that much in this book, but I think it was somewhere else I was just reading this idea that we needed, you know, coming out of the 70s to kind of reappraise, reassess and recreate our own national hero mythology yeah and individualism and just beating the shit out of the bad guys and <laughs> yeah. one man can take on uh-huh. a whole empire, whether it's Rocky right. or Arnold Schwarzenegger uh-huh. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, so you had, like, the vigilante Charles Bronson-style movies in the 70s, 80s of, like, oh, urban decay, then kind of, like, expanding into, oh, we actually need, like, a national hero stand-in. Yeah. Kind of, like, reclaiming our yeah. power during the Cold
1: War, you know? Interesting. That makes sense. And I don't know what it was about the extreme violence, but... Well, and it wasn't like... uh It's a different kind of violence than like the violent stuff. Like today, I feel like most of the violence is, um, in the horror genre Mm -hmm. with just that kind of the gross, uh, what do they call it? The torture porn, Uh just to see how extreme they can get. Mm -hmm. The violence back then was a lot, you could laugh at it a lot more. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might, it could have been Monty Python with like arms and legs blowing off and stuff. I think the end of commando, Arnold
2: rips a steam pipe out of the ceiling Uh and then throws it through (laughs) the... A guy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The antagonist, who I think he used to work with, of course.
1: Yeah. But then he went rogue, you know? That's the one where, I mean, he fought by himself like 200 guys, right? Yeah, I
2: think, if I remember, that movie had the highest kill count at the time.
1: Okay. Was that the one with Alyssa Milano was his daughter? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it's Benedict let out some
2: steam, I think, and then he throws the steam (laughs) pipe through him. That's also the one where – Let out some steam. Where he goes into a sporting goods store, and then, of course, he knows that there's a secret button that opens into, like, the missile launcher area. (laughs) Yeah, just beyond the canoes and like that. Yeah, (laughs) because every sporting goods store has Uh, that. Yeah. And Arnold, being whatever, trained in whatever arts he's trained in, knew about it. Yeah, I think he also – The Art of Kill. Lifts up a tree at the beginning of the – I think he's, like, chopping wood at the beginning of the movie and, uh-huh. like, lifting trees. <laughs> just out on his own. You know, he's living in the country. He's just up that life. Yeah. And then he gets sucked back in. That's right. That's how it goes. It's been a while since I've seen that
1: movie. What a, left yeah. an
2: impression. Sounds like you've got quite a bit of it committed to memory. I could be mixing it up
1: with a couple other ones,
2: but they're all kind of the same.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I have a confession. I had <laughs> – you're not going to believe this. Mm-hmm. I had never seen RoboCop. I had never seen RoboCop all the way through as a movie until three nights ago. I don't know how it got past me. It was one of those, I think it was, when was it? Was it 1987? 87, yeah. Is that the same year as Die Hard? Looks like Die Hard was 88. Oh, okay. But same wheelhouse. Yeah. I don't know why I bring that up. I guess because I feel like I just saw Die Hard so many times. I'm trying to figure out why I didn't see RoboCop.
2: Something slipped through the cracks.
1: Well, I think that's what it is, too. And uh, there was something else. Uh, Janet Varney and I did Tron, and I never saw Tron. Wow. And there's no reason why I shouldn't have seen Tron. I love the video game. Mm-hmm. I knew Tron. I just never saw it. It's boring, though. Mm, well. <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it a little while ago. I was like, oh, boy. Yeah. I finally snooze. watched it. Um, yeah. But I think what I figured out is uh, it was just a different time. Like – there weren't things on demand. There weren't things you could mm-hmm. stream, obviously. Uh, you're a kid. So if you don't get driven to the theater and make it there, then it might get past you. And then the obvious thing would be to rent it, but I don't know. Sleepovers. I mean, that's where, you know, if like I didn't do a lot of sleepovers, oh, okay. I was a bedwetter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. I was afraid of sleepovers. Yeah. That no, makes I didn't wet to bed that late actually by 87. I was, I was dry as a bone. Okay. Good, good for you. <laughs> um, Actually, real before RoboCop though, did you have like a multiplex near you? When I picture New Hampshire, I picture like the single screen center of town theater, and that's all you got.
2: There was one, but you know, we moved there in '86. There was there wasn't a stoplight in our town. There was no McDonald's. There was no Dunkin' Donuts. All those things actually started popping up uh-huh. after we moved there, in a the, in the couple of years after we moved there, so. They're a mall and a multiplex
1: oh, okay. all opened up like. So that's where you would go a, to your movies when you did?
2: Yeah. There was one like art house movie where I would occasionally go with one of my friends, the one who just moved to New Hampshire and sent me the photo of Richie, the deluxe video proprietor. I would go to occasionally to see some boring movie with him and his dad, but yeah, right. for the most part, yeah, there was a In the five or six
1: theater multiplex. Uh, so I had not seen Robocop till a few nights ago and, um, I think I'd seen enough parts because there were definitely parts when it came on. Like, wait a minute. I've I've definitely seen this bit on TV or something. Did you feel like
2: absorbed some of the like famous lines and scenes just through cultural osmosis? And also there was Terminator a couple years
1: before that. Like there were a few movies that were the same thing. Like I saw Terminator. I saw all those movies. I saw commando. I saw, uh, I did see predator even though I, I never really thought that one was that great. But um as RoboCop rolls the other night, it dawned on me that I hadn't seen it, even though I feel like I knew about it. Uh, and I was – it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it was so fucking great.
2: It's great. I mean I've seen it so many times. There's maybe a handful of movies I've seen more. You know, I think I saw Weird Science 37 times or something like that. <laughs> just, you know, when you're just, like, watching movies over and over again. Yeah. But RoboCop I've seen a bunch of times – and then also me and a group of my friends, like old grade school friends, every Christmas Eve we would watch RoboCop. Ah, uh, okay. From like so you had a ritual. sixth or seventh grade, yeah, up until the time we were about 30. When, yeah. When his, the you know, the house where we would all go, they finally sold that house. And I remember uh-huh. his mom was so sad that we would not be watching RoboCop anymore. She was like getting teary-eyed about it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a nice tradition. But I hadn't seen it in a while until I watched it uh, earlier this week and it's just got it all. It, does. it really feels like that it's aged extraordinarily well. It has, especially compared to something like Weird Science. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't seen Weird Science in a long time. I'm sure it's very problematic.
1: Yeah, it's pretty problematic.
2: Um, but I forgot even though I've seen it so many times there's there's like little just little character things and little plot things that I forgot about like it's I guess just watching it with a slightly more critical eye this time, I realized that the whole thing is really about corporate like
1: privatization of the police. It is a, it is an anti-reaganomics, yeah, uh, Thatcher sort of satire. And it's a little
2: bit ahead of its time, like totally. nobody was re- I mean I you know I was I was 9 I guess when it came out. And I enjoyed it because it was funny. Like I recognized that there was humor in it even uh-huh. though it was not ostensibly a comedy, but it, it, very op- funny, it opens up with like a little skit yeah. The newscasters and then a fake commercial for uh-huh. a Yamaha artificial heart.
1: Yeah, and they all run through uh, the whole movie, the fake commercials and the fake sitcoms. And I had had no idea. I didn't know. I thought it was just going to be a straight up um, just violent cop thing, and I had no idea it was a satire at its heart. I had no idea about all the uh, the funny shit. Oh yeah. All the spoofy satirical commercials and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's totally a commentary on the 80s.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean I remember recognizing like, oh, the business people are bad and just feeling really just dreadful about all, everybody who worked for OCP, you know, yeah. like Miguel Ferrer's character, uh-huh. yeah. Bob Morton. <laughs> yeah, he was terrible. Just like, oh god, what an awful guy, but then kind of feeling bad when he bites it because Uh-huh. There's even worse people behind that. Right. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. What's his face? Uh God, that guy's great. Clarence Boddicker? Kurt Woodsmith? Well, the, no, Kurtwood Smith is definitely great in this. Dick but, Jones, the Yeah, Dick Jones. Okay, I, I
2: don't know what the actor's name is. So. Yeah,
1: I, I had it written down, but he's uh he's fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's real I mean,
1: I think, you know <clears throat> he was the guy from Beverly Hills Cop, right? Or no? I don't know. All right. I feel like he was. But uh the you know, when it opens with the um the Ed two oh nine. Yeah. Debuting and it's, it's that terrible stop motion, like Jason and the Argonauts, uh, t- slightly technology. more advanced than Jason and the Argonauts, right. but slightly not too much. Though. I don't know if it's my nostalgia or what, but there, there
2: is like, I find myself yearning for more of that, you know, where uh-huh. at least it's like, you know, I don't want to sound pretentious, but it's kind of nice to see the flaws and how something is produced in a way. Yeah. You know, and there's like, it's not seamless, but you can sort of feel the, like, labor and humanness behind it, even though it's yeah. a st- stupid clunky machine. But it works really well when you know, the second time the ED-209 comes out, he's sicked on RoboCop. Right. And RoboCop just goes down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. And ED-209 can't do it. Uh-huh. And it falls over <laughs> comically and starts making these, like, squealing yeah. rascal noises, and it's, like, foots twitching. and. yeah. That, I think that effect works really well in that scene. Uh huh. Cause it's just so like, oh, this thing is big and dumb.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean though with that, with the technology. Like part of what bugs me about today is you get like, I just picture the people in the rooms when they're in the production rooms when they're like, well, look at what we can do now and just look how great this looks. And it even doesn't even look that great most yeah. times. And so I, I like love something like this. But then I wonder, did they probably said the same thing back then? Like, oh, look, look at what Ed 209, look how yeah, awesome it is. Yeah, it was looks. heralded for its special effects yeah. at the time. <laughs> special effect. <laughs> special
2: effect. <laughs> but I think, you know, I feel so grumpy and grouchy. I think CGI is great, but ultimately when it works best is when it's seamless and you're not even really noticing it. Yeah, exactly. So there's something about like, Seeing those older movies where it's like you had to kind of build something where it's like, oh, they really tried they really they really tried their yeah. hardest here.
1: <laughs> yeah. To make this thing look real. The, the model shop got going. Yeah. You know? Uh, well then in that scene, of course, is uh when uh the very great <laughs> part where Ed two oh nine, they're they're showing it off at the beginning and he comes comes in the big boardroom and they give the gun to that one guy. Yeah. And they have the face off and like, here's what Ed two oh nine can do is He's standing down this dude. Then he malfunctions. And having not seen it before, I was like, well, this is just the thing where they build up this anticipation. And at the last second, (laughs) everything is saved. And and the tension is released and everyone goes, okay, thank God. But no. No. They blow the shit out of the guy.
2: For an extended period of time. For a long, long time. And I forgot. I was talking about that the movie and that scene with somebody else. I I forgot how early on in the movie that is, too, because that's what sets up. Yeah. Robocop uh-huh. is Bob Morton. Is it Morton or Mortenson? I don't remember Miguel Ferrer. He's a very ambitious corporate executive. Yeah. You know, scrambling up the corporate ladder. Yeah. He might as well have been in like a Wall Street guy. Yeah. yeah. OCP is this huge conglomerate that's like does military operations and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they want to literally rebuild Detroit as Delta city. Right. And one of the. You know, stepping stones to, to get there is they're, they're taking over the police force. Like they're privatizing the police force because crime is so out of control in Detroit. Yeah. So they have this project called Ed 209. But then because it fails so miserably by assassinating a man in front of everybody in the boardroom. Yeah. The ambitious guy's <laughs> like, well, I have this Robocop program, which is much uh-huh. more humane. We take a brain dead cop right. and combine him with a indestructible robot. Yeah, and he will police the crime-ridden streets of Detroit. So it's like it all happened very fast. Yeah, yeah, and it it gets this like it's just so you know what I haven't seen it in a while, at least five or ten years. RoboCop, I think, at least five years. And I've been much more engaged in writing, uh-huh. you know, and thinking about story and structure over yeah. <laughs> the past time. Just how economical that movie really is. There's oh no, yeah, they just got right to it. There's no wasted space, and every joke even mm-hmm. is either painting a picture of the world, you know, through those little newscasts, and yeah, the "I'd buy that for a dollar" guy. Yeah, which is one of the running gags, or advancing something like the Ed 209 thing works as extreme shocking violence. Yeah, it's also s- sets up what the comedy style is of the movie, because right after it, the the chairman of the board is like, I'm very
1: disappointed, Dick. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> this is going to cost us $50 million.
2: No one no,
1: everyone's says like, anything well, about Well, guy. that happened. That guy just got 300
2: bullets shot into yeah, him. Yeah, no one is concerned at all about his family or anything. It's just Nothing. like, this is a glitch. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to be able to fix this. And then you think that the chairman, <laughs> said, a glitch? You call this a glitch? <laughs> yeah. You think he's going to show some humanity, but... It's just that it's going to cost them $50
1: million <laughs> in research and development. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh Yeah, I have that in all caps on my computer screen. You call this a glitch? <laughs> yeah.
0: Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock.
1: And then Weller's death is one of the more – uh one of the best schlocky death scenes in movie history, I think, is when Peter Weller's uh, original cop character gets killed. As a
2: nine-year-old, I was not
1: aware of schlock. No, uh-huh. uh, You know,
2: like I can appreciate it as schlock now, but it was oh, yeah. shocking and disturbing. Yeah, like the
1: first thing that happens is his arm gets blown yeah, or his hand gets his hand off. Off. Yeah.
2: And they're just like wanting uh, uh, a, a classic 1980s era multicultural
1: – crime gang yeah yeah they like laugh a lot
2: yeah <clears throat> um, and they and they're just there and they're just like cruelly shooting this man's body apart yeah and laughing about <laughs> it's it so great though and forever you know Kurtwood smith played clarence boddicker who's the bad guy i just knew him as clarence boddicker the like worst uh, person of all time right. so when he started showing up and other stuff like that 70s show and uh-huh. yeah. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country.
1: It's yeah, like, that's Although Clarence he was, Boddicker. He was the bad dad in Dead Poet Society though. So oh yeah. That kind of fit. He was the one that drove his son to suicide. Right. He didn't shoot anybody's hand off though. No, no, no. He didn't. Uh, but during that scene, during the death scene of, uh, Peter Weller, I, um, or Murphy, I, I went back and, uh, rewound it like two or three times trying to count the shotgun blast. <laughs> And I kept fucking laughing and losing count because it's so over the top. Somewhere around fifty, because I was going one two three four seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen and then I would just start cracking up, and I would go back and try and do it again. <laughs> you never and got so, a final count. Yeah, it's like fifty something shotgun yeah. blast to this dude at, at extreme close range. Close range. Yeah, They're and eight and feet he's away, still
2: alive <laughs> yeah. at the end of it. It's Unreal. And then Clarence Boddicker shoots him in the head, and he still
1: lives, or enough to maintain some memory.
2: Yeah, that's the idea, right? Is that yeah. his
1: brain was somewhat alive, or well, I guess his brain was dead. Well, he, was he brain dead.
2: Well, it's apparently, what they, they really say it, is that they? they
1: wipe his memory. Oh, at one okay. Point, because
2: then, you know, then the ambitious guy Morton's section of the company takes over and starts building RoboCop. And there's also like he Verhoeven also does something really interesting. I think with like the way it's shot, Uh huh. like scene to scene is almost a little bit different. What. Peter Weller Murphy gets shot and then wheeled into the hospital. And that is all this like handheld stuff where it's a lot of POV from yeah from Peter Weller's. Yeah, that stuff was great. Point of view and uh-huh. then like it seems like they didn't even have actors in the operating room like it just turned into this procedural like almost documentary style yeah. procedural. And then it jumps right into you know you take the POV from him when he's on his deathbed. Uh-huh. Into the POV from uh, of him as RoboCop, where you're seeing, yeah, they're like yeah.
1: screwing in the. That the stuff was so cool. And I thought. Well, yeah. and then he kept blinking in and out, and then they have the one corny, uh like office party. It's like a New Year's Eve party or something yeah. going on. He wakes up for a little while, and then all the everyone's like getting hammered and having a good time. Then he blacks back out again. Yeah, I thought all that stuff was really kind of fun, though. Personally, yeah, it was.
2: It's a, I think he does something Paul Verhoeven. So extremely well that i don't really think anybody else has matched where he just has this handle on tone it's so Uh self-assured yeah he's literally willing to throw in these little sketches in the middle of the movie yeah that i like just like commercials and stuff yeah that just feel completely seamless with the rest of it
1: (laughs) you know and the the Newcomb sketch yeah i mean that looks like something right off of like funny or die yeah. You know, it's such a like funny satirical take. And there's a kind of like, there's a kind of affect
2: to all of the performances, but it, it doesn't feel highly stylized. Like everybody still feels pretty accessible in their performances, but it yeah. has this kind of tone that's like yeah. slightly elevated from reality. I uh-huh. think he's, I think he's, he's
1: made so many great
2: movies. Paul Beethoven.
1: Yeah. I'd never saw Starship Troopers either. Oh, that's fantastic. Is it? Yeah. Cause I read an article today on the plane coming in. We're in LA, by the way. I yeah. Think I mentioned that. Los Angeles. Um, looking at the Capitol Records building right outside the window, but, uh, there was an article I read called why everyone loves Starship or why everyone loves Robocop and not Starship Troopers. Hmm. Basically kind of comparing saying they were both great, yet Robocop, Starship Troopers kind of had this bad rep. Whereas RoboCop is this like you know wonderful film everyone loves.
2: Strangely enough, like I was such a huge RoboCop fan, I didn't see RoboCop in the theaters. Oh, I was going to ask it you on that. On VHS, okay, first time. Yep. At how old? I think I was nine or ten. I think it was like when it came on. Uh huh. When it came on video.
1: Right. That's great, but nine-year-old <laughs> seeing that. <laughs> yeah. Nine. That was double. Digits. Like your oldest son is nine, right? Yeah. Oh. God, Could you yeah, imagine did him not seeing handle this?
2: Handle that. no. Oh my god. <laughs> It's gonna be a while, huh? He won't even watch uh, Dark Crystal. Oh, really? <laughs> um And then I did see Starship Troopers in the theater, which I don't know what that was—ninety-five or ninety-seven or something around there. Yeah, and I totally didn't get it. Uh-huh. It's ve- it's very satirical and yeah. like wooden performances and sort of over-the-top nationalism. But then on multiple rewatchings, it's it's pretty extraordinary. What has he done lately? Is he still making movies, Paul he, Verhoeven? He does. I think he made a movie called. L or Ella? Oh, boy, I'm gonna sound dumb. Can't remember recently that I have not seen. Um Yeah, he hasn't made any big ones in a
1: little while. Well, I mean, I think his uh his style and his take on things like the the '80s was like his heyday for a reason. I think. Yeah. Like he can't. You almost can't make a Paul Verhoeven, Verhoeven movie today. Oh, of course, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Showgirls. Oh my God. Yeah, L E L L E. Yeah. From a couple of years ago. I've heard his like older
2: Dutch films are also really great. Really? He's pushing eighty. Yeah, he's getting up there. And he uh I was reading a little bit about him. He um I think you know, he won all these awards, like sci fi awards and stuff for Robocop, and then a couple years later made Showgirls. And right. won the Golden Raspberry or whatever for yeah, the worst yeah. film of the year, and uh-huh. he's the, he was the first person to show up and accept his award. Yeah, he showed up, he accepted it, and he gave a speech
1: and That's everything. Great, yeah, I love that. A humble Dutchman. I never saw that. I never saw Showgirls either. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna watch Starship Troopers as soon as I get home. It's That's pretty good, and the special effects really hold up. Yeah, amazingly well. Yeah, they also. had that had come along a little bit by that point. Yeah. The special effects. They're just blasting giant bugs. Yeah. <laughs> the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. Just blasting them. So uh Miguel Ferrer has one of my favorite lines in the whole movie early on when uh after RoboCop has been debuted and he's kind of doing his thing. I don't know if you remember, but he, he went up to the one guy and he says, I predict the end of crime within 40 days. <laughs> <laughs> just to type that line in a script. Be like, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. what he's going to say. Most it takes of takes a lot of confidence, like you're saying. Well, yeah, he's a
2: big brazen young buck, uh-huh. you know, and he gets uh, <laughs> the end of crime. Yeah, he gets he gets killed in spectacular fashion as well. Yeah how did
1: how did he go again? He's
2: snorting cocaine. Oh, that's off that's right. of Call girls cleavage. <laughs> that's right. And Clarence Boddicker busts in and says, "Yeah, yeah, bitches leave." Uh- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> He has most of the great lines He does in that movie. Can you fly, Bobby? Cops don't like me, so I don't like cops. Yeah. Bitches leave. <laughs> Bitches leave. Um, yeah, and then he shoots his kneecaps, <clears throat> plays, which is very irresponsible, like a laser disc message from Dick Jones, uh-huh. his boss and rival, saying, I'm going to kill you now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then unpins a digital grenade
1: and rolls it into his – That's right. Condo and yeah, blows the, him up. The and, thing about that scene, though, is he shoots him. He shoots his knees off, basically. And Miguel Ferrer is still laying there and like talk, having a reasonable conversation with him. Yeah, he's he's not like screaming in agony. He's no. just like, "Come on, we can talk about he's this." Always, <laughs> that is
2: the key to being a successful businessman. He's always <laughs> looking for an angle. Yeah, he
1: offered to double whatever Dick Jones was paying him to. He did. did. Like he literally like, came Boddick. up with a better deal. With his kneecaps shut off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, let me think about this. Maybe I could offer this guy something. Yeah. I remember as a kid watching that. Th- do you remember there's like
2: flashback scenes where there's these sort of like dreamy POV scenes where he's like remembering his life in the yeah, suburbs? Yeah, his wife and kid. Um, yeah. And then he goes – he starts remembering who he is and then he looks up. He looks himself up in the computer system and drives to his house and it's for sale and there's this like automated – Real estate agent there. Yeah, There's yeah. There's like all these TV screens, and he's going through and kind of flipping out, remembering uh-huh. that stuff being like really boring as a kid. Like, sure. oh god, right? You we, this we don't need dumb that. wife. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, stupid kid just uh-huh. friggin' kill people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, and I was kind of like involuntarily dreading those scenes when I was rewatching it. I was like, ah, oh, the boring stuff's coming up. Uh huh.
1: <laughs> But now. The boring as a, flashbacks that last like 40 seconds. Yeah,
2: they and they were so short in my memory. They have a much larger uh-huh. presence. In yeah, the movie. it's like a whole subplot. Uh, but now as a, as a husband and father of three, I was like, Oh, I guess I could see maybe that's what was uh, right. motivating him <laughs> or something.
1: Well, I read today too that apparently there was a scene, uh, in one of those flashbacks where he went, actually went back as Robocop in like real time and the, the son didn't recognize him or whatever. The only person that recognized him was his dog. Oh. And the dog would go up to him, and Verhoeven apparently was just like, no, it's too sentimental. I can't do it.
2: Oh, yeah, that's yeah. funny. My uh, uh, A friend and co-worker of mine gave me the uh, novelization of
1: RoboCop. Oh. They did one of those? Yeah. That's where you think, write it after the movie, right? I think it was after the movie. Uh-huh. It
2: might, my, although it might, have been, it might have been written before the movie was fully produced because – did, Did you read it? No, I haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. But he told me that there's the ending is him sitting on a hillside, looking out over the setting sun with his dog, uh, and that's the that's the very end of the of the book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So maybe that there was a dog subplot. It ends rather abruptly, though, in the movie. He just walks off. Yeah. After was there a, a sequel? Yeah. Oh. There have been there were two, uh, like widely released sequels non-derhoven I, th- I don't know probably i don't not. know if he did he might have done the second one i don't know was it peter weller yeah he was definitely in the second one um boy i didn't even think to look up a sequel yeah it, it was also extraordinarily violent Um uh, and i think it was pretty good and then there was robocop three and then there was a bunch of uh just like straight to video ones.
1: Oh, right. Like Ro- Robocop, uh, Atlantic City and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. The real housewives of <laughs> yeah. Robocop. Uh, well, this brings us to the cocaine warehouse, uh, shootout. Yeah. Which, um, first of all, the cocaine warehouse is just great. It doesn't get any more like 80s than a cocaine warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> Packaging warehouse. Yeah. A bunch of Italians. Yeah. Of course. Uh, but they keep, um, what struck me about this one is they, they shoot like three thousand bullets at them, and they just keep shooting at them, and at no point does anyone go like, "Hey, like this isn't working." Yeah, maybe we should try something else. They're thinking maybe the three thousandth and one shot will be. Yeah, the Yeah, I mean,
2: at one point there's these people who are literally they're wearing masks like packaging the cocaine. They must be making nine dollars an hour. Yeah, and they pick up an <laughs> Uzi, yeah. and it doesn't work. Uh huh. And it's like I, I think it's important to have job loyalty, right? <laughs> But it's not working, and then there, and then there's later on there's a guy who's like just who's just like walks up to him with a pistol, uh-huh. and it's like unloading on him. <laughs> yeah, but that's dedication. I mean, they believed sure. in their manager, I guess. Yeah, they had to get that cocaine out the door. Clarence Boddicker does so many great intimidating great things. The I don't even remember what they're trying to do. Partner up with the Italian guy. I don't even know. I think they're trying to partner up with him. Okay. And they go to his cocaine warehouse, and the guy's drinking a glass of red wine. Yeah. <laughs> and then he puts two fingers in it and snorts his fingers. Yeah. <laughs> snorts Super. the wine. And then the guy, in a real alpha move, immediately takes a sip.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. It doesn't bother him that Clarence Boddicker did that, you know? I love these having some Chianti. Uh, the, the new story that begins Act 3 is one of the funnier, uh, funnier bits of the movie. When, um, and that's, that's a lady from entertainment tonight, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was Lisa Gibbons. Yeah. Lisa Gibbons. Yeah. Um, when, uh, they tell the story. It's, it's a news report of a real life thing that happened. And, it, and when the laser cannon on the missile defense system, uh, fired on planet earth by accident. Yeah. And it has that little graphic of it just going like turning, yeah. and rotating toward the earth <laughs> and shooting like 12 cannons, laser cannons. Yeah. All over the earth. And then the, they really buried the lead too, cause I think at the end of it, they're like,
2: <laughs> three presidents died? Yeah. Three former presidents died? And <laughs> Yeah,
1: they, I think it was, uh, Santa Barbara. They destroyed Santa Barbara. And so, uh, two former presidents, yeah. you know, and it just shows like a guy in bloody tennis shorts laying there. Yeah. Who's supposedly, I, I mean, I guess ostensibly one of the ex-presidents. I'm guessing Gerald Ford. That's what was my first thought too. Um, very funny though. Like I had no idea it was this funny. It was a delight watching this thing the other night. Yeah. Emily was like, What are you are you laughing at Robocop? I was like, This is this is
2: fantastic. Yeah, I mean I think it was one of the first movies where even though I didn't understand all of the subtext uh-huh. and I didn't I didn't have any real political opinions. I wasn't very aware about the changing media landscape. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um and I certainly wasn't thinking about corporatization and privatization, but I knew that there was a deeper message that it was saying. And I understood the dark humor. Mm. Like I think that was the first time that I really grasped and was amused by black humor. Yeah. You know, for real. And, and then it was just like every year we would watch it with my friends and it was just celebrating all of these great moments, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's not like, uh, it's not one of those movies. And I think Emily probably thought this like, Oh, it's so bad. It's good. It's not that at all. It was intentionally funny. Yeah. Like it was written that way.
2: And if it could entertain a 10 year old and then 30-year-old. equally entertain me at 39, yeah. you know, and like for different reasons and some of the same reasons, cause there is a, there is a joyful abandon and mm-hmm. just how much
1: violence and destruction. Yeah. It's over the place. top. You can't take any of it seriously.
2: Yeah. And even the car, the 6000 SUX. Yeah.
1: It's like
2: <laughs> big gas guzzling, uh-huh. like souped up robotic Cadillac yeah. thing. And the police go on strike. Uh-huh. And then the the gang just, like, goes
1: wild on the streets of Detroit. Well, remember the gang? um At one point, they get a hold of that uh super gun. Yeah. And the thing is just so ridiculously yeah, large. Yeah, blowing up liquor stores. Yeah, and they basically destroy a city block just so, so they can see what that thing does. Yeah. And they just take turns blowing up cars and storefronts. It has a lot of... A lot of good deaths, too. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I think that brings us to – I mean there's a lot of good deaths, but I think probably the best death in the whole thing is when uh, the truck – Runs the guy into the vat of toxic waste. Yeah, the big toxic wa- like <laughs> big toxic waste vat. Yeah, it's like, a, a Simpsons episode or something. Like they come around the corner and it's literally yeah. labeled toxic waste.
2: Yeah, he's driving full throttle toward <laughs> Robocop.
1: <laughs> yeah. Who makes the brilliant tactical move
2: of stepping out of the way. <laughs> he just steps to the side. And I watched that scene a couple times because that is, it's just the best scene, but I watched it a couple times on this rewatching and literally, you see Robocop step to the side and just sort of like, oh, like uh-huh. keep walking a few <laughs> steps slowly, almost like you're doing the thing where you're trying to skip across the crosswalk really quickly. When, yeah. when a car's coming, you're like, oh, that like half uh, jog thing. Like you're sort of trying.
1: Yeah. He does that and then just sort of like slows down. But that's just, you know, Robocop doesn't move fast at all. No. So it's, it's not like he was out of there. And then what happens? The truck
2: runs into the. Because I guess they're at a toxic waste factory. I don't know It's <laughs> <laughs> just one of the many abandoned factories, yeah in 1987, Detroit and then runs into the the tank and then he comes out and he looks like he's melting swamp thing he's yeah like yeah a dripping like the toxic Avenger. yeah and his mouth is hanging off of his <laughs> face and his fingers look like melting wax uh-huh. and he's steaming. Yeah. And then he runs and into – And that's not the end. No. He, he, he runs into his other friend saying, help. Yeah. And the guy's like, get off of me. And then he's just clamoring down the street. Uh-huh. And then what happens? And then Clarence Boddicker's driving a car, uh-huh. 6000 SUX, and full on smashes him to smithereens. He decapitates just, him. Well,
1: he, he – His head pops fully,
2: off. Yeah. Everything yeah. pops off. <laughs> It's, just, so great. it's the best.
1: Yeah. So like they literally are like, all right, let, let's, let's melt this guy. Raiders of the Lost Ark style. Yeah. Uh, and that's not going to be how he dies. Is
2: that good? Isn't that good enough?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not good enough. Yeah. Kurtwood Smith pops his head used off to explode him with a Cadillac.
2: Yeah. Also, I was thinking that, cause I was kind of watching it in this new age of enlightenment for problematic uh-huh. stuff. And there's really not that much. Oh, what do you mean? Well, just like culturally insensitive stuff that hasn't aged well. Yeah, yeah, sure. The only thing I can think of is his partner is a woman. And in the beginning, when they first kind of have a tussle with this gang, Uh they follow them to another abandoned factory at the very beginning. Right. Nancy Allen, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And they decide to just take them all on, the two of them, without calling for backup. Yeah, and she's like, let's do it. And there's – uh. A kind of uh, joyfully effeminate black criminal mm-hmm. who's urinating. Right. And she says, freeze right there. And he turns around and is like, let me just zip this up. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, she has, she looks. To, she has to sneak a peek <laughs> at his wang. <laughs> yeah. And when she does that, he takes advantage and knocks her onto a pile of I-beams. <laughs> so it's an I-beam factory. <laughs> but then, th- then she's just sort of left. Like, ah, oh, she's taken care of. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. I but, mean she just it's not even that far. But that's the only part where it's the She falls like fifteen or twenty feet yeah, while she's done. Yeah. <laughs> where the female can't help but look
2: Yeah, the I, criminal's I mean, peener.
1: Yeah. The other day I was when I was watching, I was like, oh no, don't don't look. Come yeah, on. But I mean I would have looked. Yeah. Well, of course. But that's it.
2: I think otherwise, very woke film.
1: Uh all right. Well let's get back to Robocop and finish up with uh the last scene. Uh, when, uh, Robocop confronts the chief, um, but he, I mean, it's just, it's so, so cl- simply clever how they kill him at the end because Robocop cannot turn on a uh, employee of the company. Yeah. And I didn't see it coming.
2: No, there's three, he has three, di- three directives. Yeah. Uphold the law, protect the innocents, protect the innocent and serve the public trust or yeah. something like that. But then there's a fourth directive, uh-huh. which we don't get to see. We learn that there is one that's classified, and right. that is, yeah, you can't arrest an employee
1: of OCP, right? Arrest or harm? I think it's something arrest. like that. Like they, uh, they, they have that slipped in the back door. Yeah, like Dick Jones, the
2: bad guy who was bested by his younger rival, uh-huh. still managed to slip that in, right? Um, and then I think at one point. You know, Clarence Boddicker is saying, like, you can't arrest me. And he says, I'm not going to arrest you, meaning he's going to kill him. But right. then I think he gets a pile of I-beams dropped on him as well after that. <laughs> yeah, so they're in the same boardroom where the Ed 209 assassinated that junior executive. Yeah. And, uh, and he takes the old geezer hostage. Takes the old geezer hostage, which you have to do if you're in that situation. Yeah. It's the best way out of there. And then the old geezer says, Dick, you're fired. <laughs> so he's no longer an employee. So great. And Robocop just says thank you yeah, thank and shoots you. him and then he falls forty stories to his death. Yeah. Yeah, he is alive. He gets shot a bunch of times, but then he's kind of flailing uh-huh,
1: on the way down. Yeah. No, I mean if Robocop shows one thing is that you can survive sixty gunshot wounds yeah. somehow and still have a worse death. There's a the that reminded me of the the scene
2: because you see there's a montage when Robocop first hits the streets where you're seeing him his own Way of dealing with crime, which is like destroying everything around him. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there's a guy holding up a convenience store, and he right. throws that guy through the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's uh, two men attempting a sexual assault on a woman. Yeah, and they take her. That's kind of use her as a uh-huh. human shield. And Robocop's advanced targeting system, yeah. is so good. Okay. That he can shoot through her skirt uh-huh. into the man's ball area yeah. and shoot his ball area off.
1: Yeah, that was thought of um, apparently. That was not in the script. He was just, like, targeted in and shot him in the face. And when they got on set, they saw how he was holding her. And Verhoeven had, like, or it may not even have been him. It may have been one of the special effects guys. It's like, oh, look, what, here's what you should do. Yeah. Like, shoot her between the legs through the dress. And, uh, not, you know, shoot her at all. Yeah. No, I'm she's not sure. If, to the dress. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's clear to the listener though. If you haven't seen she's
2: it. She's completely unharmed. Yes. That's right. But then she goes up to him thanking him. Yes. And he's like, you've, you've suffered a trauma. I'm, I'll inform a uh-huh. sexual assault counselor. Or yeah. Something he's all like business. That. Yeah. There was a couple of years ago, a bunch of different comedy troops each took a scene from Robocop and recreated it. Oh, wow. And there's a, a full, it's a full length feature. Where Robocop has been recreated by all these comedy groups that love the movie. But I haven't actually seen the whole thing, but th- the funniest one was made by Fatal Farm and they recreate that scene. Uh huh. But he shoots the ball area off of the first assailant and then it's just a series of assailants. Like people just keep showing up and he just keeps shooting everyone in the crotch. <laughs> Until eventually, they're like actually have their penises out. And uh. He's just shooting them off, and it spares no graphic detail. It's uh-huh. like it gets extra, and it's five minutes of him shooting people's genitals. Just, this off. is on
1: stage, or they shot? Uh, no, they short. made it.
2: Oh, okay. they, they shot it, and it's got very high production values. Very, very funny. Is this on YouTube? I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's just like nonstop penis shooting.
1: Yeah, well, that's what Robo. I mean, Which Robo is penis shooting, but it's. uh If you're going to do a RoboCop spoof, there has to be hails of gunfire at all times. Yeah, I mean, it's... There's so many bullets fired in this thing, it's unreal. Yeah, but useful social commentary as well. No, for sure. You know? Not lost on me.
0: It's Women's History Month, and there's no better way to celebrate than by hearing from amazing women who are making history and changing the world for the better. Learn from leaders like Katie Couric.
2: I wanted little boys and little girls to see that a woman can do that job confidently and confidently.
0: Tori Birch. Women are great investments. That is something I know. Andrea Jung. The concept of a network of women, which can be small or it can be large, is really one of the most powerful things I've had the opportunity to see. And many more. Listen to Seneca Women Conversations on Power and Purpose on the iHeartRadio app. Or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, Joe, we finish up with two segments. Uh, One called What Ebert Said.
0: This movie is a complete disappointment.
1: I always like to go back and see what the great Roger Ebert thought of these movies. Yeah. And uh, you will be delighted to know that Roger Ebert gave RoboCop three stars. Three out of four. Three out of four stars. Yeah. It's not thumbs up. This is his own Chicago. Yeah, this was his, uh, yeah. his column. Um, but that's ostensibly a thumbs up, I would yeah. think. Uh, and he had this to say. Uh, there's a moment early in Robocop when a robot runs amok. And he's talking about the Ed, uh. Ed 209. Ed 209. Sure. It has been programmed to warn a criminal to drop his gun and then to shoot him if he does not comply. A junior executive is chosen to pull a gun on the machine. The warning is issued. The exec drops his gun. The robot repeats the warning, counts to five, and shoots the guy dead. This is a very funny scene. <laughs> it is funny in the same way that the assembly line in Chaplin's Modern Times is funny because there is something hilarious about logic applied to a situation where it is not relevant. Hmm. So uh, I was a little nervous that Ebert was going to be like, what movie is this that I'm hmm. watching? It stunk. Zero stars. But he got it. The rest of it, it. the rest of it talks about the satire, uh, of his review talks about the satire and, um, he was totally on board and was like, it's a lot of fun and funny. And that's how you should see this movie.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it, it is, you know, incredibly well crafted. Yeah. That movie. Like, like I was saying earlier, the way he's able to mix these highs and lows of comedy (laughs) and violence and commentary. (laughs) And it all feels really, really seamless, but it was just making me. Think when you were reading that about how just sort of snake eating its own tail. The mm-hmm. idea of depicting gratuitous violence in American media is like how much it sort of you know. I was reading about Paul Verhoeven that he grew, he lived in um, the Hague during World War II, which oh, I guess wow. was the Nazi capital in the Netherlands. Uh-huh. And as a six-year-old, he lived through bombing raids and said that the streets were always just filled with cadavers and bodies and explosions. And it was just like, this was Uh, ingrained in him. Yeah. So I think it's something that he has had to express. Yeah, yeah. But also... Interesting. You know, the 80s when it felt like violence was getting out of control and gun violence was, you know, starting to become a problem, like the issue of how much... Does commenting on something just perpetuate right. the idea, you know? Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if there's a, even time to talk about something like that, but yeah. I don't know. It's just like something I was thinking about during the movie of like, wow, this is so violent. It's a reflection of what a violent culture we live in, but then also like you can't help but contribute to it yeah. if you're depicting it. And I wonder well, and how also much...
1: where he thinks it's headed too, like the yeah. dystopian uh, – uh, bankrupt to detroit which would eventually happen for real yeah that's true
2: know. and have to be taken over by corporations who we can yeah. always trust to do the right thing because it's the marketplace you know
1: i think they were going to build a uh, robocop statue in detroit but it never happened oh
2: did it not happen i remember hearing about that so yeah you
1: know. i don't think it did i'll have oh. to check though i don't know if that would have been awesome or ominous <laughs> maybe a little of both Oh, well, I would definitely get my picture taken in front of it. Oh, for sure. Um, all right. And finally, Joe, five questions with Joe Randazzo. Uh, first movie you remember seeing in the theater? Um, Pinocchio. Oh. Yeah. Those freaking kids turning into donkeys scared the living yeah. crap out of me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a little, oh, Pinocchio is kind of a weird movie for children.
2: Yeah. Very disturbing. Yeah. Very dark.
1: Yeah, they become kids' movies those because I'm starting to watch those again now that I have a kid, and they're all very formulaic now, um, very formulaic, mm. but all pretty well done. But they stick to that thing, and like yeah. I think back then they didn't.
2: No, there was I think I think especially Disney was in
1: touch with something a little bit darker. Yeah, for real, I feel like Bambi's mom died for Christ's sake. Yeah, that's scarred yeah. Emily. She hadn't. She's just now getting to where she can watch those movies again, but. She watched, uh, what, oh, uh, Up. Remember uh-huh. when that came out? Uh huh. And cried eyes out and she's like, I'm done. She's like, they fucking kill someone in every single one of these movies now. I think some of those movies do feel a little bit like they're cry porn and
2: yeah. that they're almost aimed at adults, you know? Right. Where it's like, In and Out also kind of felt that
1: way. Like, oh boy, you're manipulating me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I don't like it. Uh, you're going to love Coco. Good, good movie. Um, First R-rated movie that you saw anywhere, theater or VHS?
2: Um
1: It might have been RoboCop. I think
2: it was either RoboCop or Predator, which I think okay. came out
1: the same year, yeah. Right. So right at, like, nine years old or so? Sure. That's great. <laughs> Do you walk out of a bad movie? Do you remember doing so? I don't think
2: I've ever walked out of a movie. I think the closest I came was uh Magnolia. I almost walked out of Magnolia. What? Oh, man, it's just you don't ru- like that movie? rubbed me so the wrong way. You know, I have I have not seen it again since wow. I saw it in the movies, and I think I need – and I'm a big Paul Thomas Anderson uh-huh. fan, but I think something about – I was so anticipating that movie, and it just felt, like, so ejaculatory. I just couldn't <laughs> handle it. Right. Interesting. It just felt – I was just like – all I could hear in my head was, like, his voice screaming, pleading for an Oscar Right, I, just, I don't know. It just well, rubbed me the wrong way.
1: Yeah, sometimes a lot of that has to do with where you are yeah. even on that day. Yeah, because I had just been uh, turned down for an Oscar. Uh, so I was yeah. a little bitter. Uh, you applied and they said no? Yeah. They said you can't even apply. That's Bastards. not how it works. Uh, do you have a guilty pleasure
2: movie that you can think of? Um, would guilty pleasure mean like seeing it? over and over again or would it just mean
1: Yeah, like, I mean, generally it's like a movie like, oh man, I'll watch uh this movie over and over and it's kind of like a pretty bad movie.
2: I think two come to mind, Legally Blonde 2, which okay. I cried at. <laughs> I was on a plane though where it's much easier to cry. Is it? I think so. If you're watching, I, I feel like it's... I've had this discussion before with, with Jen Kirkman who I think has a similar thing maybe even in her act. I think it's because some part of your unconscious knows it might be the last movie that you ever see oh that's funny she thinks it has something to do with the altitude uh-huh. i don't know maybe i just know both. i cried my eyes out at legally blonde too <laughs> and i also really liked the movie spice world like i found myself being so delighted by that film and feeling those definitely count really bad as guilty pleasures okay <laughs> yeah you know. i haven't seen either of them since
1: but maybe right. i'll go maybe i'll watch spice world tonight um I'm not gonna watch i've spice not seen either one of I'm those by the way spice world tonight uh, and then finally, question five, movie going one on one with Joe. Uh, what is your, uh, movie ritual now at the theater? Where do you sit? Oh. What do you get? Um, well,
2: I used to be a big popcorn guy and then I was a big popcorn raisinette guy. You throw the raisinettes in the popcorn, sure. and kind of melt it a little bit if they're hot enough, but mm-hmm. usually the popcorn is not hot enough. Right. Cause it's
1: yesterday's popcorn.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so I will either, I kind of rotate between M&M's um, or uh, Sour Patch Kids, mm-hmm. and I don't really like soda, but I'll occasionally get a Coca-Cola. Yeah. And I want to sit right in the middle, depending on the size of the theater, two-thirds of the way from the back. That's my sweet spot.
1: All right. So if it's stadium seating, you'll be in the riser section? Yes. Okay. As, as, as much in the middle as I can possibly get. And you probably rock out the uh... – Uh, assigned seating here in Los Angeles. Forget about it. Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the best thing that ever happened. It is the best thing. And you know,
2: one thing that I hope to die doing this, but not die. I don't want to die while I'm doing it, Mm -hmm. but I would love someday I work in comedy and I've never made the theater-wide comment that makes the audience laugh, you know, like uh-huh. during a trailer or something. Yeah. Someone will just make some perfect uh-huh. snappy <laughs> remark and everyone will laugh. And then you're all just in a great mood. Uh-huh. And that person is a hero. Yeah. I've tried it and it's failed so oh, no. miserably. Uh huh. Do you so remember that, what you said? No, I don't remember. Uh-huh. I don't remember. Yeah. Usually I boo like at commercials and stuff, but that's just because I get upset seeing commercials. But now I'll try them out with my wife, like whisper a comment, and she'll kind of give me a. A yeah. yes or no. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's usually, eh. I don't just don't think I have the confidence. I'm not that kind of guy who can yell out something funny.
1: I'm not either. Um, but I have a funny story about that is I went and saw the witch, you know, from yeah. a couple of years ago, or whatever mm-hmm. in New York city, uh, when I was on a work trip and it was one of the big New York multiplexes and it was packed out full of people. And you know how you saw that movie? I haven't seen it. No. Uh, well, it's pretty disturbing and, and just like, uh, a lot of tension is built in that movie, mm. like gobs of tension. And there's one part, well, let's see, I don't want to ruin it for you now. It's okay. Well, there's one part where a crow is, is pecking in a, in a, like a dream at, at the breast of a woman, like mm-hmm. as if she is breastfeeding, mm-hmm. but it's a crow pecking, yeah. like at a bloody breast. Yeah. And it's just like, it is breaking point for the whole audience. <laughs> and this girl, only in New York City, you just hear her, like from the second row, just go, that is so fucked up, uh, <laughs> and everybody died laughing, and I think it was just the tension relief oh, yeah. we, we all needed at the time.
2: I saw uh Cloverfield in the theater in, in Times Square, and Tracy Morgan was sitting directly oh, behind me. Are you serious? Yeah. So I got to hear his whole, because he wow, would say stuff a little a bit treat. louder, and obviously everyone wants to hear what the hell Tracy Morgan is saying. Yeah, yeah. But his girlfriend or wife or whatever it was with him just kept being like, shh, shh, shh. Yeah. <laughs> but he was sitting right behind me. So I was really only half paying attention to the movie, because I just wanted to, uh-huh. but he just kept being just like, oh, man, this is corny. <laughs> so he just kept saying, like, this is so corny. He didn't like it. Oh man, I would
1: pay to see every movie with Tracy Morgan. Behind yeah, me. <laughs> he was
2: visibly disappointed, like slouching out of the theater. Oh, uh, that's that he had to sit through that. But I like that movie.
1: I like Cloverfield. And I like the one uh, recently too. The uh, yeah, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was good too.
2: One of the great John Goodman performances. Agreed. He either go. He's. I'm mean, hot or cold on him. What are you cold on? I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I feel like some sometimes he's just John Goodman, and mm-hmm. it's like, ah, eh, this is too John goodman And then other times he's like, John
1: Goodman. And you're like, yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, John Goodman. This right, is great. Kind of John Goodman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Well, every week I feel like I just come in and say, how fun was that? So let me say it again. How fun was that? Joe is the best. He's uh, he's so funny, and just a good pal. And RoboCop. It turns out there was way more going on in that movie than I thought. It is not just a hyper violent, camp classic from the '80s. Uh, it's also a, a pretty rich satire, and uh, it was really fun to pick it apart and laugh together, and get into RoboCop, the original, obviously. So uh, thanks to Joe. Thank everybody for tuning in this week and. We will see you next time. And until then, remember, wax on before you wax off. That is the order. Movie Crush is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia.
2: Hello, this is Ron Burgundy and you are listening to my voice, which commands trust and respect. Guess what? My podcast is back, and that's a win for everyone. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you probably already know the deal. Each week, I bring you hard-hitting journalism and also light entertainment. I contain multitudes. Find the Ron Burgundy Podcast on the
0: iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Honey German. And I'm Carolina Bermudez. And, and this, this is, is Life in Spanglish. Spanglish. And you know we're cooking it up in here. We got that arroz con pollo waiting for you. Why are you looking at me so confused? Because I'm like, what we cooking? We don't have a stove. <laughs> you got the bajo. I'll get, you know, you got the mango. We got it all for you at
1: Life in Spanglish. I need a sancocho <laughs> if I'm getting any type of food. Listen and follow on the iHeartRadio app or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.